0: All right, well, I was thinking about our text this week and really the unpredictability of life, and one image came to my mind. I was many years back driving near Big Tree up in the Sierras, and there was a group of us who had been looking at the big trees in the Sierras, and there were two carloads. We were with another family. We have four children. This other family, I don't know, they have they have a lot of kids. Uh, they just keep adding kids, it seems like. They're, I think at that time, they might have had six or something like this. And so something happened as we were leaving Big Tree, um, and, and and we were getting into the cars where I was driving one of the vans, and I, had, I ended up with all the little kids. So these kids were you know ages, maybe the oldest was 10, and the youngest would have been even babies. And I ended up with sort of like the young crowd of all these kids. So it was me and our van seats eight, so seven little children just packed in the back of my van. And then there was sort of the adults' suburban or whatever that was traveling you know, somewhere else. And we got separated from one another, and I was tooling along the road with all the little children in the van and uh, uh, just minding my own business when suddenly I heard this gigantic crash on the side of the van. And I, I sort of look over, and I see the face of a deer and it's plastered against my window right next to me, right here. And I see this big eye for a brief second. And, 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 and then it disappears. And we kind of swerve a little bit. And I pull over the car. And, and uh, just out of nowhere, this deer came. I pull over the car. And it's all dented on the front side uh, where the deer has smashed into the car. And I get out. And I'm and I'm looking for the deer. You know, where do the deer go? And and you have those thoughts of is the deer alive or is the deer dead? And is the deer suffering? And I think you know we as men feel this obligation that if this poor animal's you know uh, suffering, we have to go out and find it in the woods and you know put it out of its misery. I don't know. You know, with our bare hands. You know. <laughs> one of those headlocks or something uh, to, you know, because you just feel this, I mean, you can't just, you know, every, all your man friends will ask you, well, what did you do with the deer, right? You know, did you take care of business Um, and and put, and with this poor deer? Um, And so I'm having all these feelings as I'm thinking about looking out into the blackness of the forest. And then I look back into the car, and there's all these little faces just staring at me wide-eyed, you know, what am I going to do? And I decided it probably wasn't the best thing for me to leave all the children on the side of the highway and go wandering off into the blackness searching this deer. So I, I, I asked God to please protect that deer um, and put it out of its misery if it needed to be. Um, and then I got back in the car and drove away, and I remember thinking to myself, wow, that just came out of nowhere, so unpredictable. Uh, and, and why did it have to happen to my car with all the kids? Why couldn't the deer have chosen the adult car? And then they could have chased after the deer and handled the deer. Um, and, 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 and life is like it. It's a little microcosm, I think, of how we experience this world. We're going along, tooling along, things seem to be fine, and all of a sudden, boom, out of nowhere, life changes. There's a financial difficulty or there's a marriage struggle or there's a health issue or we lose our job or whatever it might be. Life just sort of happens to us. And the teacher today wants to help us think through the unpredictability of life. He wants to give us some ways to think about this world and how we move through it, and its, in its, in it's the uncertainty that comes with us. So would you open up to Ecclesiastes 9, Ecclesiastes 9. And when I say the teacher, um, what I'm referring to is the writer of the Ecclesiastes. That's how he sort of refers to himself. Ecclesiastes 9, if you need a Bible, please raise your hand. We'd love to give one to you. Um, raise your hand if you need a Bible. Uh, and it's in, on page 474 in that Bible that we're handing out. Ecclesiastes 9, and the teacher wants to talk to us about the unpredictability of life, about the uncertainty of life. So starting in chapter 9, verse 1, we read this, But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil. Let me read that again. Since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As is the good, so is the sinner. And he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live and after they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion, for the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing." And they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished. And forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Go, eat your bread in joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with Your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Again I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of man are snared at an evil time, when it suddenly falls upon them. Now, of course, you can't fault the teacher for being overly optimistic, can you, uh, in this text uh, and in life in general. We've seen that over and over again. And At the same time, it's beautiful to know that in the Bible we have somebody who's fearlessly facing all the hard and challenging questions of life. Isn't that nice? As we're with the youth last night and, and just encouraging them, again, the high school students, look, if you have questions, ask the hard questions. Don't hold them in. How you learn and how you grow is by asking the hard questions. Don't be afraid to challenge what you're hearing and seek deep and profound and meaningful Answers to what you're facing. And the teacher is telling us, really, the message this time is that life is unpredictable. It's uncertain. It's full of all kinds of unpredictability. He says the same event happens to all. We're all on the same kind of journey. And there's this wide range of experiences that are common to all of us. Have you ever seen a movie and you're watching that movie and, and suddenly you, re, you thought, Oh my goodness, how did they know that's exactly what I experienced in life? Maybe you saw a movie that captures your childhood, kind of what it was like to be you, you know, at that phase. I remember when I watched E.T. as an adult, I looked at it and I said, oh, how did they do that? They captured my childhood exactly, except for the small green alien. That was exactly what I lived through, riding around, in, you know, unfinished suburban housing tracks on BMX bikes. That was me, right? It was this common it was, it was experience, and I thought they captured it exactly. Um, we have this, this, this resonance when we, we, we experience something that somebody else has experienced, and that's part of the way this world works. The same event happens to all, and it's true of good and bad events at the same time. It's true whether you're a good person or a bad person, quote-unquote. You know the tornado when it comes through the town? It doesn't hop over the nice people's houses, and go straight to the, to the bad people? You know, it comes, it comes rushing through and everybody gets caught up in its wake. It does not distinguish. We know that things like cancer, they come. And they come to people who live wickedly and people who seemingly live righteously. And cancer comes and, and the car accidents and, and, on and, and on and on and on. And verse 11 expands... Again, I saw, he says in verse 11, Again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge. But time and chance happen to them all. And and that could be translated, the timely incident happens to them all. Accidents happen to them all would be another way to think about that. For the man does not know his time like fish, that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. So it doesn't matter if you have natural ability or if you have great preparation. None of these are a guarantee against time and chance. Think of all the, the great athletes and you know, that are not in the Super Bowl today, right? And all the ones who are near miss, and your favorite team probably is not in the Super Bowl today, given where we live. Uh, and, and, and so, you know, those athletes, and some of them were just right on the cusp. On the, and and it's, a, it's a matter of just one little play in some cases. Uh, and, and they didn't make it into the Super Bowl after years. I think about this with Olympic athletes, you know. You, you wait four years, and you order your entire life around one particular event, and you 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 just you you focus for four long years and and you sacrifice and then you remember that time in the Olympics when the archer got up there and he hit a, a, a he hit the target bullseye to win the gold except he hit the wrong target all that time just disappeared right uh, time and chance happens and and there's no there's no preparation there's no natural ability that can prevent. These things from happening in our lives, know what magnificent intellects you know have been derailed early on in life for some chance event or what um, you know what other kinds of incidents have have come upon you know the wise planner who has everything figured out and, and has laid it all out there and has suddenly laid off their job and and now they're they 're struggling and, and time and chance happens to us all accidents, chance events and the, the teacher tells us it's like a, a net that drops on a fish. And, and the imagery there is, in, in that day, they would have these circular nets. And, and a fisherman, one of the ways that they would fish is to stand on the side, and they would take the net, and they would fling it out there, and it would rotate and spin, and it would hover in the air just above the water where the fish were, and then it would just, boom, snap right down and catch the fish in the net, and the fish would know not, the fish would be swimming along, not knowing hovering above is this net, and it would come descending down, or like the way that they would catch a bird, there would be a stick and they would put a string on it with a with some sort of loop at the end, and the and the bird would be going after the seed, and suddenly it would get caught up in the noose and and, and caught and snared, and and that was the end. And and he says that's the way some of these things happen to us in life, time and chance. There's uncertainty, there's unpredictability. And so um, then he he even takes it to a a more cheery kind of a level. And then at the end of all that, death comes to all of us, he says. Verse 3, this is an evil, verse 3, this is an evil in all that is done under the sun that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil and madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope for a living dog is better than a dead lion. And we like dogs in our culture, but in that day, the dog was a scavenger, so it'd be more like a rat. It'd be like saying a rat is better than, a, a living rat is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. And, and you remember, you know, he's not giving us a comprehensive view of the afterlife, um, he's telling us what life is like under the sun. If we limit ourselves to life under the sun, the, the horizon being this world, this life, if we limit it to that, then this is what we see. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. And and, and if you've been with us in the study of Ecclesiastes, what the teacher has been saying is that the the idea is that you want to shift your gaze to beyond the sun, but if you think about this world and you just think about under the horizon, what happens in this world, then this this is what it looks like. He's painted a picture of that life. What is it like under the sun and the uncertainty of it and the fact that all of us will face death at the end of it. We all, the living, have this shared experience. It's unpredictable. There's death. And the teacher calls us out, which is a beautiful thing. It's an honest thing to do, right? For the teacher to say, look, this is how it is. This is the way the world is. And I'm, so, I'm just so thankful. And one of the things I wrote down earlier this week was we have to create an environment in this church where there's freedom for people to ask the hard questions, to be on a serious pursuit of understanding, and, and, and an environment where, in our home groups and in this kind of a setting, it's okay to ask the hard questions. That's what the teacher models for us. And if we don't do that, what we do is we descend in sort of like, sort of this 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 kind of culture where there's a certain set of things that you have to believe, whether you believe them or not. And that weakens our faith. That doesn't strengthen our faith because it, there's doubts that we're not grappling with and. Intru- that are introduced. And so it's so much better for us to create an environment where we can be in process together and find and seek answers. And so I want to encourage us to do just that. But we all have this shared experience, the unpredictability of life and the death that awaits us. And sometimes as Christians, we ask, some of us who are Christians ask, why is it that we face this kind of existence even after we've come to have faith in God? Why do we continue to be part of the same thing? How come when we walk with God, it seems to make no difference in the uncertainty and the unpredictability of life? I mean, wouldn't you think that, well, you know, if in the midst of it all we turn to God and we put our faith in Jesus Christ, then somehow we would maybe be free. That's our expectation from the uncertainty of life. And yet As the teacher says, these same events happen to all of us. How come sometimes it seems like walking with God makes no difference? And we could spend a long time talking about this. I don't want to delve into it too deeply. But for me, the most compelling answer is that this grows out of the whole incarnation piece of the redemptive plan of God, that Jesus entered into this world, and he suffered and he experienced all that we experience in this world. He experienced all of it. He was a human being, and, 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 and because he did that, we know that God can relate to us. And so if when somebody became a Christian, if they were suddenly pulled out of the regular common experience of this world, then we would not be able to relate to the people around us. And one of the reasons that we're left in this setting where we experience what everybody else experiences is because that's the way for us to connect to others, to be the the, the, the pathway upon which the gospel moves into the lives of others because we have common shared experience. So it's so important for us when we are encountering non-Christians, when we're we're talking with non-Christians. Some of you may be with us today, are non-Christians, and that's great. But it's so important that we don't, we don't pretend like life is perfect, but we enter into our own suffering and we allow other people to see our suffering. I was meeting, we were meeting, we had a family in the neighborhood over for dinner a while back. And we were talking, I always do this now, this is my strategy. You know, I just talked about our marriage and how hard our marriage was in the beginning and, and just started to say, look, I'm part of this struggle that is life, right? The first year of marriage was challenging for us. That's, that's just a reality. And, and, and they always look at me like, I can't believe you're saying that out loud, right? You're supposed to cover that kind of thing up, right? But as Christians, no, we enter into that, the struggle and the pain and the suffering of life, because that begins to build a bridge upon which the gospel can travel into somebody else's life. So we have to be, that's why we're in this world the way it is right now. Now it is not, it's not entirely true that things aren't different when we come to faith. We do experience the same events, but the way we move through them is definitely different. Because we move through them with the one who is over it all. So the events themselves might not change, but the way we move through it is definitely different. We walk with the living God who helps us and strengthens us and encourages us in the midst of it. But as so many people have said, it's not that we always get to go around the hard things. It's that we get to go through them. But we get to go through them with the help of the one Who's over. And it's also not true that God, that God isn't going to change things because we have to bring time back into the equation. He will fix all that is broken and wrong at some time. And so we're, it's not a question of when, of, of, of whither He will, it's a question of when He will, in a sense. So it is different when you come to faith in Christ. But anyway, we're all in this common experience. This is why we, all of us Christians, non Christians, um, you know, sinners, all of us are sinners, we all experience the same kind of events and the unpredictability of life. So what do you do? And that's the question that the, the writer wants to get us to. What do you do in the midst of that? How do you look at the life that we've been given, which is so unpredictable, so uncertain? How do, you, how do you face that as a human being? That's what the teacher wants us to grapple with. And I would say, and I'm summarizing what he's saying here, and I'll explain how I get this phrase, but here's... here's Here's the best way I think I can say it. You live in this life under the horizon, under the sun, amidst all the uncertainty and unpredictability. You live in this life by getting in touch with the next life, by getting in touch with heaven. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. And I'm not even sure the teacher fully realizes the extent to which he is saying that. Um, But he's recognizing in some of the elements of this life a reflection of the eternal things And he's saying, asking, inviting us to see in the things of this life, the reflection, the mirrored reflection of eternal things as a kind of a window into what is ahead, what is out there, what is beyond. Verse 7 says, Go, eat your bread in joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already approved what you do. Verse 8, Let your garments be always white. Now there are options, right? You could wear sackcloth, which was a symbol of your repentance and your mourning, it was, it was sort of a humble thing. Wearing white was joy. To wear white was, 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 to, was to think about joy. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Also a symbol for joy. Verse 9, enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given. That means your, your life is a mist, right? So enjoy the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there, and we're talking about work here. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Now, it's hard to read that and not see behind it Genesis 2 and the Garden of Eden. What do we have there? We have this whole concept of work. We have eating, and we have, we have, uh, we have uh, marriage. Um, and, and what do we remember from Genesis 2 in the Garden of Eden? That, the, that they were given to work the garden, right? That's how they were supposed to do it. They are supposed to work the garden, and then they could eat of any of the trees except for the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So they could eat. They had all this food they would be able to enjoy. And then God said, it's not good that man be alone. And so he made the woman and, and brought them together. Right? So it's really hard to read the teacher's recommendations and not see in there a glimpse of Genesis 2 and the Garden of Eden where to think on and, and go back to and reflect on the Garden of Eden. Now, the Garden of Eden was a place of perfection. God was present and all these things were present. Um, but that was broken, right? The, the next chapter in Genesis tells us that that perfection was broken. Why? Because of sin. Sin spread through us. To the rest of creation. And that's why there's uncertainty and that's why there's death in the world. Death is the result of sin. Uh, that's why, the, and there's uncertainty and decay and brokenness in this world because of sin. And so our working becomes tainted and our eating becomes tainted and our drinking becomes tainted and our loving becomes tainted because of sin in the world. But the teacher recognizes, nevertheless, a glint of heaven in those things. See? And he's drawing our attention to that. He's saying, look, peer into what you've been given and what you've been provided with by God and see in that. Go. Go. Don't stop brooding, in a sense. That, that word in verse seven, go, is a, it's an urgent command. Go, eat your bread and joy. Drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already proved of what you do. Let your garments always be white. Put on joyful clothing in celebration. Rejoice in what is and what's before you. Enjoy what you have. And then if we're to be able to, Fast forward, the teacher obviously to the extent he knows it, we don't even we don't know, um, but he's looking forward to a new day when 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 the fulfillment of time and Jesus comes and Jesus takes these same things and he restores them on a whole other level, doesn't he? he he comes on a mission to put the full joy back into our work and back into our eating and back into our relationships. That's what. Jesus is doing. And when he went to that cross, he was paying the penalty of sin, the very culprit that resulted in the, the breaking of the perfection of the Garden of Eden. And Jesus hangs on that cross and he dies there to address, to deal with the root problem of the brokenness and uncertainty and death in this world. And, 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 and on that cross, um, he, he, he atones for sin. They take him down and they put him in the grave And he stays there for three days and then he bursts forth out of the grave in resurrection as if to say, look, I've broken the curse on this uncertain, unpredictable world. This world that scares you, this world that you can't master. I've broken the death curse on this world. And so then he proceeds to put joy back into the things that were originally invented so that we would have joy. So... For example, our work, he starts to reform the way that we think about work. We have this creative desire in us to participate in the, the world, to, to make things and to redeem things that are broken. And Jesus comes on the scene, he redeems that, and he allows us to to approach work again with the freedom and the joy that comes with that. Uh, our food and our drink, our, he makes those the greatest symbol. We, we celebrate it every week at the communion table. Um, not only is it joy, joy, brings us joy to eat because of our bodies, and it, it just, it's wonderful to eat. I talked about this last week, living in the Bay Area, how wonderful it is to be able to have all kinds of amazing food where we live and, and the joy that that brings. But then he takes it to another level, a spiritual level, and he says, In the bread, recognize my body which is broken for you which breaks the curse and recognize in my blood which is shed for you which breaks the curse and recognize that that is a symbol for a day in the future, in heaven, when you will be united with God and with all the followers of Jesus Christ and you will sit around the table and you will have the most glorious fellowship that you could ever imagine. Some of you will be at a Super Bowl party today and it'll be great. You'll be with your friends. And you'll be sitting around. And it'll be joyful. Just, you know, that times of infinity, right, is the joy that we'll have that this table represents. And so Jesus puts the joy back in our work and he puts the joy back in our food and our drink. And on the work note, by the way, one of our initiatives this year is to really study out what it means to, to, have, uh, to bring our faith into our work. And so keep looking for that. I can't talk more about that right now, but Andrew Franklin is leading the charge on that, and it's very exciting. And then our marriage, he, you know, and we have to remember that Jesus redeemed, redeems singleness too. He, ta- he talks about it in the framework of a community, and he makes it beautiful. And, he, and Jesus was single, so he redeems the singleness, but he also promotes marriage and the coming together. And his first miracle was at the wedding of Cana, and it was a miracle of abundance and joy. The wine had run out, you know, and then Jesus turned the water into wine, and then the steward came and said, whoa, you saved the best wine for the last. Usually you have the best wine first when people can still taste it, not when they're drunk. But now you have the best wine last. And, And so there's this abundance and this joy in Jesus. His very first miracle, he's putting this sort of... This, 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 this joy on the wedding, the union. He's restoring. Do you see that? He's bringing back what was originally intended to be. Our work, our food, community, their windows into heaven. I just got to admonish those of us who are married briefly here. I was on a, a bike ride yesterday and talking with one guy whose kids recently left the home. and He, he told me the story of how broken his marriage was at the end of that because all they did he and his wife was focus on his children and when the children left the home they realized they had nothing and so I just want to admonish I thought of this text as he was talking to me. I want to admonish those of you who have children keep your marriage central to your family life don't let the children take over but keep wooing your wife and wooing your husband and chasing after one another very important And then another guy uh, was on the ride. This guy's a professional cyclist. He's been in the Tour de France, and he's uh, been the number one guy in the United States for one year. And he was standing there, and he started complaining about getting home too late for his wife. And we all looked at him, and we said, this is your job, isn't it? And he goes, since when is it okay to be late to your wife because of your job? even if that's your job. And I I thought of this text again. I thought, oh my goodness, what a good word for us. So a little admonishment for those of us who like to work and we come home late and we justify it because it's important things that we do and we're neglecting our spouse, wife or husband. A word to you this morning, don't neglect your relationship with your wife. Don't neglect your relationship with your husband. Don't make work an idol but do enjoy work. That's what he says. Do enjoy work. Do enjoy food. Do enjoy community. Do do enjoy your spouse because these are windows into heaven and you're living in an uncertain, death-tainted world and you need every window into heaven that you can get to remind you of what's ahead, to remind you that there's a redemption that's on its way. You need those windows into heaven. When we were uh, years back, we used to Love to go up to Tahoe, and, and the kids, they were little, and they called Tahoe the Snowy Mountains. And so we would say, when are we going to the Snowy Mountains? When are we going to the Snowy Mountains? We'd pile them in the car on that particular day, and we'd start to drive, and they'd be all excited, and then we, for them, we'd just be driving and driving and driving. And they'd be looking out you know, around Sacramento, and they're thinking, where are the Snowy Mountains? You know, this is not looking like what I expected. Uh, and they're getting tired and nodding off and irritable. And then we would start to go up the hill out of Auburn, you know, and, 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 and all of a sudden there'd be a little patch of snow, and they would start yelling, the snowy mountains, the snowy mountains, we're in the snowy mountains. They're looking, and you just picture their little faces looking out the window day in and day out and seeing nothing, right? And then all of a sudden, a patch of snow, and they're filled with joy. And what the teacher is telling us is, look, these things, your work Your spouse and the relationships, if you're single, the relationships in the family of God, your food, your drink, these are windows into what's ahead. And treat them as such. Look out the window. See the snowy mountains, in a sense. This is what's ahead. It's a harbinger of what's to come. And let it fill you with joy because God is redeeming all things. When you go to work this week, what can I create? What can I redeem that's broken? Who can I love in my workplace? When you eat, you know, we perfunctorily say grace, but really say grace this week. This food is good. It reminds me of the Garden of Eden, right? Or what I think it should have been. Delicious. Thank you, God. It's a window to what's ahead. And when you look at the people around you, if you're single and you you have community that loves you in this church and, and beyond, you say, thank you, God. It's a window into what's ahead, to what's eternal, into the eternal things. Fill me with joy. You know, when you look at your spouse, you say, God, this is your provision for me. This is joy. Thank you. Thank you. These are windows into the redemption that is to come. God, meet us in the windows this week. That we might be a people who dress in white, so to speak, filled with the joy that befits those whose hearts and minds are set on eternal things but are nevertheless grounded in this world. Lord, fill us with your joy. Guide us and lead us. That that joy might spill over into the lives of others and you might be honored and glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.